Welcome to The Talk at Revolution, where each week we explore what it looks like to find Jesus and live like Him in a practical way. At Revolution Community Church, we know that we are better together. Each week, we look to celebrate Jesus, connect with others, and contribute to the church, community, and beyond. If you'd like to connect with Revolution or take a next step, please visit us at revolutioncc.org or at our Logansport, Indiana campus located at 3930 East Market Street. And now, we hope you are encouraged and challenged by this talk. even though it's about villains, doesn't it? So, uh, brand new series, seven weeks. We're going to be talking about some bad boys and girls of the Bible. But here, I want to start this way. I, what, when you think of the word villain, what do you think of? Like, give me a villain that comes to your mind. And if you're watching online, put it in the comments. I want to check those out later. But just yell out a few villains. So, this side of the room. What do you think? Vader. V- Darth Vader. Yeah, I mean, the last one. I mean, that was just a great picture of Vader, too. How about over here, uh, a villain? What do you think? Lex Luthor, yeah, Superman villain, right? Satan, there you go. That's the, we might talk about him in this series. We'll see. What about in the center here? What villain you can think of? IU. Tom Brady, I heard. And then I heard IU. I don't like this section as much. Okay. Oh, my goodness. So, hey, this is going to be a great series, and, and we're going to be looking at some crazy evil stories. And today is a... Great example of that, but and the, the idea is not to glorify these stories, but it's to learn something from them. Because I, I think you'll connect with this. I, I think I've learned more from people in my life that have just totally messed something up, and I got to see this disaster and like, learning what not to do from people that just get it right all the time. Um, I, I've learned from leaders that I've had to kind of sit in, sit under in ministry about what not to do. Some of the the leaders that just Man, they just didn't get it right a lot, and I learned what not to do rather than the leaders that seemed to you know, model what I needed to do. And so that's what we're going to look at. In this series, we're going to learn from somebody that got it wrong, so hopefully we can get it right. That's the idea of this. And we're going to look at seven villains in the Bible, some guys and some gals. And I thought, man, I want to find the, the most villainous story I can for week one. And so I scoured the pages of the Bible, and there's a lot of them. So it was hard to narrow it down, but I think we found the guy that might top the list. And uh, to set it up, let me build a little bit on where we were last week. So we celebrated 10 years as a church last Sunday, if you weren't here, by the way. 10 years, yeah. And we, this, you had this big parking lot party, and we looked at this story in Judge, Joshua chapter 4, where the, the, the people of God were told to pick up 12 stones from the Jordan River, make an altar to remember God's faithfulness in the past, and to look ahead to who you are called to be in the future. And so we looked at our 12 stones last week, the 12 things that, we're, that are going to help us remember God's faithfulness in the past, and look ahead to where, you know, who we're going to be in the future. And if, if you missed it, there's t-shirts out there that actually have the 12 stones 
on them. We got these new We Are Revolution shirts, and there's not many of them left. I saw a lot of them go after first service. So we're asking for a $10 donation for them, but hey, if you don't have $10, just get a t-shirt. And there's all kinds of like uh, vintage stuff out there by the, by the uh, coffee shop if you want to check that out. But uh, these are the 12 things that we're going to be about moving forward, and uh, we'll get them on their website soon and all that. Uh, but last week, it was, it was amazing. Like, I, I've been thinking about, you know, we passed 10 years, so I've been thinking that there's been some milestone moments in the life of Revolution. But as I reflect on last Sunday night, it tops the list now. It's my favorite event in the history of Revolution. It was amazing, and so some pictures are going to come up. We celebrated with 16 people in water baptism. Several of them decided last Sunday night, they didn't come ready for it. They decided last Sunday to, to follow Jesus and publicly state that faith through water baptism. And so we had changes of clothes in here, and they got ready and did that step. And we had Revolution anthems blaring throughout the east end of, of Logan Sport. It was just an amazing time together. So uh, and there's, there was a still camera that we recorded the whole event. It's on our Facebook group, so check that out if you want to. If you want to catch up on the event, you just search Revolution Community Church in Facebook, and you'll find that group. But um, so again, last week was about Joshua four, and I share that because today we're going to be in the very next book. It's the book of Judges, and Joshua was a really good leader. Uh, he was a godly man. He he led the people in following after God. He made mistakes, but he owned it. He moved forward from it. When we get to Judges. We see a lot of the opposite of that. And actually, multiple times throughout the book of Judges, if you read it, you'll, you'll see this statement show up right here. It says, everyone did what seemed right in their own eyes. Now, I was thinking about that. For today's story, it's an extreme example of this statement. And I thought, in today's world, I think many of us fall trapped to this statement as well. Like, we do what, what seems right to us. We live by a standard that seems right. We develop a worldview or a lens of looking at things that seems right. Because let's be honest, in our world today, it is really hard to discern truth and facts. It's really hard to know exactly what is true. There's so much out there, so much information. It, it's, it's, have you noticed this? It's just hard sometimes. It's, it's really easy to convince myself if I you know, watch like a, a short video on social media of some political figure or news person or just some random talking head. Like I, I can, they, they, through the art of persuasion, they can help convince me in three minutes or so. Like that, yeah, that seems right without looking into it deeper or just based on the emotional connection in the video or something. No, yeah, that seems right. I mean, you can make about anything seem right. And that's why it is so important to live in community as the church and to have real relationships where we're talking things out and trying to discern truth together, not by ourselves. This is why it's so important to look at the, the, the life and teachings of Jesus who is right, the right standard that we look to, to read scripture, to fast and pray, which we're doing that right now, to, to, to go through a series like Villains where we look at guys and gals that got it wrong, and we don't have any emotional connection to these stories, and we can look at kind of the, the outside view of these stories and, and learn a little bit more about what actually is right based on these stories that got it wrong. So that's what this is about. So that's enough. Let's go right into it. It's Judge, or, yeah, Judges chapter 9. And the name of our villain, it shows up right here in the very first verse. It says, One day Gideon's son Abimelech went to Shechem to visit his uncles, his mother's brothers. He said to them and to the rest of his mother's family. Now, a couple things before we move on. Gideon is Abimelech's dad, and he just passed away. He's gone. 
And if you're following along in another translation, it might actually say uh, Jerubal. Uh, same guy, don't have time to explain why there's two different names for Gideon. But So Gideon is gone, Abimelech is one of his sons, and he, so he goes to visit his crazy uncles. That's how the story starts. Anybody have a crazy uncle in the room? Kids, you got any crazy uncles? Yeah, I see some hands up. Yeah, so he goes to his uncles and he says, ask the, the, the leading citizens of Shechem, whether they want to be ruled by all 70 of Gideon's sons or by one man. And remember, I'm your own flesh and blood. So a couple things here as well. The first thing we need to note, Gideon has 70 sons. He left 70 sons. That was a busy dude. And, and, uh, and, and my guess is Gideon wasn't just a boy-making machine. He probably had daughters as well. Uh, it doesn't mention that here, but let's just assume he had maybe 70 or so daughters, 140 kids. And now you're doing the math, like 140 kids, nine months apiece. That's not working. You're like, how did that work? The answer polygamy. Ask mom and dad about that later, okay? So let's just keep going though. So <laughs> Abe goes to visit his crazy uncles, and he's like, look, I, do you want me to be in charge of the nation or one of these other random guys? Like, I'm family. Like, I got unlimited get-out-of-jail-free cars for the uncles. You know, speeding tickets, don't worry about that anymore if I'm, if I'm the king. You want me or somebody else? So Abimelech's uncles gave his message to all the citizens of Shechem on his behalf, and after listening to this proposal, the people of Shechem decided in favor of Abimelech because he was their relative. Blood is thicker than water. They gave him 70 silver coins from the temple of Baal, which he used to hire some reckless troublemakers who agreed to follow him. So he, he gets his money to hire these reckless troublemakers. I love that language. Anybody know a reckless troublemaker? Anybody come to mind? You, like, some of you are the reckless troublemaker. I won't make you respond to that. But, but, I mean, these are some mercenaries, some bad dudes. I mean, think, think like Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, you know, uh, Billy the Kid. He, he hires these bad dudes to, to, to do so. We'll find out what happens in a second. The other thing I want to point out, too, the coins that he used to hire these bad guys came from the temple of Baal. Now, Baal was the god of success. They're following after the god of success. Abimelech is following the god of success. The god of what? Success. Okay, well, that'll come up later. Good job. Uh, that'll come up later. Verse 5. You're not going to believe what these guys do. He went to his father's home at Ophrah, and there on one stone, they killed all 70 of his half-brothers, the sons of Gideon. But you want to talk about a villain. This guy doesn't just take out a group of people. He, he doesn't just you know, ransack a village. He kills every last one of his brothers. Well, almost. But the youngest brother, Jotham, escaped and hid. Then all the leading citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo called a meeting under the oak beside the pillar at Shechem and made Abimelech their king. When Jotham heard about this, young brother, he climbed to the top of Mount Gerizim. I'm not, I don't have a clue if I'm pronouncing this right. We'll just, and he climbed to the top of this mountain and shouted, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem. Listen to me if you want God to listen to you. I love that strategy. If you want God to listen to you, you better listen to me. Husbands, I don't encourage that, okay? Once upon a time, the trees decided to choose a king. 
First they said to the olive tree, Be our king. But the olive tree refused, saying, Should I quit producing the olive oil that blesses both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? Then they said to the fig tree, You be our king. But the fig tree also refused, saying, Should I quit producing my sweet fruit just to wave back and forth over the trees? And you're like, this story just took a really weird left turn. What is this all about? Okay, so hang with me here. They're they're all at this pillar by the oak tree in Shechem. There's a coronation ceremony happening, okay? Abe, Abimelech, is being crowned the new king. And all the competition is gone. All the 70 brothers are dead, except the little one that got away. But what trouble could he possibly be? So they're crowning Abe, and in the midst of this, little escape artist Jotham gets on top of a mountain, and he's like, let me tell you a story about trees. And evidently, everybody at the ceremony is like, well, this guy must be part of the, the, the whole deal here. Check it out, storyteller, kids. Check the, he's telling a story. Because they have to believe he's part of what's going on because they just let him continue his random Lord of the Rings tree story. You know, like trees are walking around and waving and talking, and I don't know what Jotham's smoking, but it seems weird. But it starts to make a little more sense, okay? Verse 12. Then they said to the grapevine, you be our king. But the grapevine also refused, saying, should I quit producing the wine that cheers both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? And then all the trees finally turned to the thorn bush and said, come, you be our king. And the thorn bush replied to the trees, if you truly want to make me your king, come and take shelter in my shade. If not, let fire come down from me and devour the cedars of Lebanon. And it's at this point where I think people start to catch on that something else is going on here. Or maybe Abe pipes up and he's like, hey, is this a story about me? And just in case it's not totally clear, Jotham continues. Now make sure you have acted honorably and in good faith by making Abimelech your king and that you've done right by Gideon and all of his descendants. Have you treated him with the honor he deserves for all he accomplished? For he fought for you and risked his life when he rescued you from the Midianites. But today you have revolted against my father and his descendants, killing his 70 sons on one stone. And you have chosen his slave woman's son, Abimelech, to be your king just because he's your relative. If you've acted honorably and in good faith toward Gideon and his descendants today, there's lots of sarcasm here, then may you find joy in Abimelech and may he find joy in you. But if you have not acted in good faith, Then may fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leading citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo. And may fire come out from the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And now everyone knows Jotham isn't part of the regularly scheduled program. And Abe is probably like, Wyatt Earp, let's go kill that. That's the dude that's been missing right there. this This next verse is so interesting. Verse 21 So Jotham gives a speech, and then Jotham escaped and lived in beer because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. Jotham escaped to beer. We're a real church, right? Some of us have escaped to beer before. I'm not going to, we, we talked about our 12 stones last week. We practice authenticity. Some of us have escaped to beer. Now, beer is a place here, okay? Like, th- this is saying that Jotham got scared, and he, he got on 24 East and headed to Budweiser. That's what's going on in this. So, let's look at the next verse. And this is, this is a really key part of the story, okay? After Abimelech had ruled over Israel for three years. How many years? Three years. Now, 
I'm not going to ruin the story because we're going to find out in a second exactly what happens. Okay, kids, you're not going to believe what happens to this guy. But, but I am going to somewhat ruin it because three years is all Abimelech gets. Three. That's it. Three years is all he gets. And I, I point that out to say, and we're going to break some things down that, that Abimelech gets completely wrong in just a minute, but I just want to point out, doing things our own way, doing whatever seems right to me, with no restraints, you fall and you fall fast. In Abe's case, three years. So, down in verse 50, we find out what happens after three years. Now, check out the rest of it. The in-between is really interesting as well, but we're going to skip down. It says, Abimelech attacked the town of Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower inside the town, and all the men and women, the entire population, fled to it. They barricaded themselves in and climbed up to the roof of the tower. And look at what this villain does. Abimelech followed them to attack the tower, but as he prepared to set fire to the entrance, this dude is going to burn every last person in this tower to death. And then karma shows up. Or better, God's justice shows up in the story. And you got to be ready. This is not your Sunday school story ending. Okay? Everybody ready? As he prepared to set fire to this tower... A woman on the roof dropped a millstone that landed on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Some of the elementary boys are like, savage. And then verse 54, very interesting ending. He quickly said to his young armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me. Don't let it be said that a woman killed Abimelech. So the young man ran him through with his sword in the most meaningless words, and he died. He's dead. Now, this is a great story. Not your yay-raw hero story, right? This is a great villain story. But I don't want us to just hear great stories in this series. Again, this is about learning from someone that got it wrong, so hopefully we can get it right. So I just want to give us a few things as we think about this story that Abimelech got totally wrong. Here's the first thing I thought of. He made success his God instead of his goal. Think about that. Baal, the God of success, was literally his God. He worshipped success, and it played itself out in his actions, his behavior, his attitude. He was willing to do anything to get what he wanted, to get the throne. His drive for success, it was totally out of control. He made success his God instead of his goal. Now, here's the difference. Here's the difference between the two. When success is a goal, we have a healthy drive toward accomplishment. When success is a God, our drive becomes out of control to the point of needlessly hurting others. When success is a goal and we don't achieve it, we're disappointed. When success is a God and we don't achieve it, we're devastated. We're destroyed. We're we're depressed because our identity was wrapped up in that. Our hope was placed in accomplishing something and succeeding with something. And sometimes we escape to beer when we don't. And, and I know this is a crazy story. Like, it's so evil, right? Kills 70 of his brothers. And maybe it's like so hard to relate to, but I think like we, like we can get out of whack just like this. So I just want you to reflect on this for a moment. Think about this. Is your drive to get better 
or to move into a new career, or to get promoted, or to make more money, or to expand the business, or, or whatever it is. Is it your goal, or is it your God? Lowercase g. And I think it's, it's really hard to see this in the mirror. So I, I just ask you to reflect on it this week. Take some time to reflect on this. Are those things we're chasing after, are they gods or goals? It's so hard to see it in the mirror. I've, I think the hardest person to talk to is not the person that's gone after something and crashed and burned, like someone that went after a dream and it died. I mean, it's sometimes hard to talk to those individuals, but a lot of times when you hit the bottom, you're pretty open to hearing something. The, the hardest person to talk to is, is the person that's made success their God, they're chasing after it, and it's working short term. And, and I thought about it in this way with our church. One of, one of the greatest tools our spiritual enemy uses against churches is the God of success. A church that thinks it's, a, it's arrived because it's grown to a certain point or accomplished a certain amount. A leader that takes their foot off the gas because things are going well so we can coast for a little while now. And that's why this 21 days of prayer and fasting as we enter a new 10-year run as a church is so important, friends. Like if you haven't joined us already, join us for the last 14 days. Because, man, God has been so faithful to revolution. I probably said that statement a hundred times last week as we celebrated 10 years. God has blessed our church beyond our imagination. But my prayer is we never think we've arrived or think the best is behind us. I want revolution to have a healthy drive to keep moving the mission of Jesus forward and making disciples as our goal where God gets all the glory. Make sense? So... Just think about that. That's what he got wrong. He made success as God, not his goal. Here's the second thing Abimelech just totally messed up on. He saw others as competition instead of opportunities for collaboration. And like I said, when success is a God, we, we often don't care about others in the process. It doesn't matter who we step on or step over to get where we want to be. Abe saw his brothers as competition and he took them out. And I was thinking about this. Like, so Gideon, if you don't know his story, like he, he messed some things up really bad at the end. But he followed after God, and, and you know, he, he did some amazing things. It's actually referenced in the chapter, the Midianites, this amazing story. And I would guess that at some point, Gideon had to think, 70 sons. <laughs> that's a blessing. That's a, that's a lot of boys. I mean, that's, I, as I pass from this life, there are 70 men that, have, that I've raised up that can take the nation to where it needs to go. And yeah, we're going to need a point leader. We'll need a king. But 70 sons that can unite to move the nation to a season of prosperity, following after God. But that's not what happened at all. One brother sees the rest as competition and takes them all down. And friends, I think we live in a world where this is a huge temptation right now. We live in a world that tries to identify someone different from us as our enemy. Not just as competition, as our enemy. We live in a world that attempts to tribalize us into groups and pit us against one another. This is my opinion. Division is the issue of our time. Racism is an issue, healthcare is an issue, violence is an issue, abortion is an issue. Hate and division is the issue underneath it all. I actually listened to a podcast the other day. It's entitled The Dispatch. 
It's a bunch of Christ followers that just talk about happenings in our world and ha- like, you know, just kind of reflect on it. It's kind of like what I talked about. We need to talk about things in community with others and trying to figure out what actually is not right, not just what seems right. And, and these guys and gals, they just discuss things. Like, how would Jesus respond to this? What would Jesus think about this? It's a great podcast, and I listen to podcasts on the right, the left, the middle, and everything in between, just to try to s- discover wh- where, where people are at with things today. And it was a great podcast because it, it talked about this new business trend that's actually gaining a ton of traction in 2020, because a lot of businesses are closing. I'm sure you know about that. But new businesses that are starting up, there's like a trend happening where the business will take a major political stand on issues, which attracts people that think in the same way to patronize the business. And you're like, well, what's the issue with that? Well, David French, one of the individuals on the podcast, he's a, he's a historian and he kind of predicts things into the future. He believes if something drastic doesn't change in the United States of America, we will become so tribalized that we will buy things from businesses that only publicly support the things we support. We will only see social media posts from people that think just like us. We will only watch the news that validates how we think and definitely not hold friendships with people that think, vote, or believe differently than us. That's the direction we're going. And I know this probably seems controversial and it's the hot button topic, but take it up with Jesus. Because Jesus, the way of Jesus is collaboration. The great collaboration, we've talked about it so many times. The last prayer he prays for us, the church, is that we would be one as him and the Father are one. That's his final prayer for us. The great collaboration. There's so much written in the New Testament of how the church is a body with many different parts that have many different gifts and many different ways of thinking about things. And how the body of Christ is healthier when our differences come together. It's a deeper, fuller, better way of living in community. Collaboration, it's a word at Revolution that is so dear to my heart. We have this phrase, better together. It's what focuses us in moving forward. This is the way God has called us to live. Not to see each other as competition or as enemies, but as opportunities for collaboration. As fellow human beings that can accomplish so much more if we work together. There's a saying in in New Thing, the church planting movement that we're connected with. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I'm going to say that again. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Abe went fast, crashed and burned in three years. I, don't, I want to go far. Revolution's desire is to go far. I think our country's desire is to go far. It's the way of Jesus. Here's the third thing he got wrong. He took the selfish shortcut instead of waiting on God's plan to unfold. Now, maybe this will be the, the, the one that connects the most. Because think about this. Maybe he would have been the next king. Maybe not. Maybe God raises him up to lead the whole nation of Israel. Maybe not. But he decides to take the matter into his own hands to get what he wants now. We have to say no to the temptation of short-term gain. Now, I I thought about it like this. Some of us that have started this fasting and prayer thing, we're seven days into this, and, and maybe you're praying about something very specific, and you're like, seven days in, nothing's happened. Fasting and prayer doesn't work. This thing doesn't even work. I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. <laughs> you know, it, not that it doesn't work. It's that God often doesn't work in the way and on the timeline we want him to. See, there's three answers God has to our prayers. Yes, no, grow. That third answer, it seems like I get that 98% of the time. Where God's like, I'm not going to give you the answer now. There's a process of getting to the answer. And in that process, you're going to grow. I'm going to change you. 
Abimelech missed out on that whole process because he wanted what he wanted now. See, this is a season our church is in right now as well. Think about it. We've reopened our building after a crazy season of change. We just passed the 10-year mark, which is a pretty big milestone for a church plant. We've assembled a new staff team. We have huge vision in front of us that we just released in January in our Better Together series. And now we're waiting on God's plan to unfold. And, and some of it's already unfolded. We opened a counseling center a couple months ago and we're live streaming. Hello, everybody online. Like things are happening, but a lot of it is we're waiting on God's plan to unfold. And we wanna move forward together. Like we wanna fully open next gen, but we wanna do it together. We want to see life groups grow and thrive, but we want to do it together. We're going to try new things probably every single week. I mean, why not? Things changing, let's try some new stuff. And we want to do it together. We're not about the selfish shortcut. We're in this for the long haul. So please join me in prayer for revolution in this amazing season. This amazing season where God is going to grow us and change us in so many ways. So those are the three things Abe got wrong. And we're going to look at mostly the things that the villain got wrong. But I want to point out one more thing. And this, like, if you've missed everything else, just get this. There's a couple heroes in the story. This random lady, don't even get her name, drops a millstone on Abe's head. Jotham, the youngest brother, escapes because everyone's like, I mean, what's he going to do? He's a young brother. I just let him be. And he's the one that confronts the evil of his brother. He's the one that stands up to the evil. These little inconsequential characters, they both saw opportunities to confront evil and make a massive difference. Sometimes in facing difficulties and evil, we can tend to think, you know, what could I possibly do to make a difference? As we look at our world right now, right? We can look at our world and be like, what could I possibly do to make a difference in this world? My friend, you have a voice, you have a vote, you have a weapon, it's called prayer and fasting, and we follow a God that has no limits. And I'm, I'm praying that God raises up some individuals here. You might seem, inco- it might seem inconsequential, you might feel inconsequential, but he's gonna raise you up in this world right now for such a time as this to make a difference. So can we stand together? We're gonna sing two more songs and we are, these are, these are gonna be some amazing anthems and I just pray that uh, God just brings all this together in these final minutes we share. God, thank you so much. For this first story, first to seven, where we're learning a lot. And God, let these truths, these ideas settle into our hearts. Let us continue to ponder them and live differently because of what we've learned today. In Jesus' name, amen.